Hello and welcome once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Life involves pain and struggle, and we have questions. Many of us have asked God why, including Moses. Founding pastor Randy Pope continues the series Exodus with this sermon entitled Addressing the Question Marks of Life, which uses selected texts from Exodus and Philippians. For more information and to watch or hear other sermons, please visit our website at perimeter.org. Thank you for joining us today. I want us specifically to ask God that he is going to this day perhaps take the truth that we're going to be exploring and he might drill it so deeply in us that this might be one of those aha moments of the Christian faith. Maybe a truth that is going to come back to serve each of us in a a way that could be profound, could actually change much of our life even because of this one thing. So with that, let's pray and let's ask God. Our Father, this morning we do ask that every week we want you to speak to us and so forth, but I'm just going to ask you now, would you let this be one of those moments? Maybe in the years to come of life, we'll remember of your ways and be able to apply it to the hardest of moments in life that we experience. Some of us are right now in those experiences. And Lord, we pray that this would be a, it would be an ointment to that painful sore of life. And I pray for all of us who are going to walk through very difficult times at some point, if not already. I pray that at that time, this may come back to bless. We ask it in the great, the strong name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen. All right, so let's assume that uh, your friend, a critic of the Christian faith, says to you, hey, I want some answers. I know you're a God follower and you're all about all that stuff, but let me ask you this. How is it you can follow a God and be so excited about a God who you, in your words, believe and say that he is sovereign over all things, that he is in control or whatever you call it, that he has a plan and that plan is being executed, all that stuff. How do you explain little babies that die and leave those parents heartbroken for a lifetime? Why would he put that in the plan? How do you explain the people who are brought into this earth, this world, and they have disabilities that's going to make life so horribly difficult for all the years of their existence? Why would God put that in the plan? And and the list goes on and on. Maybe we turn even to our own questions. And we say, well, God, why is it? And we may not be so open to declare these questions publicly, but we might be experiencing in our thinking on a regular basis, God, 
why in the world would you let me go through the pain? Why would you let my loved one go through this pain? Why would you separate me from my loved one? Why would you allow me to be single? Why would you allow me to be childless? Why would you allow? And the questions just go on and on, and we go, I don't know. And let me say that when we have no answers to those questions, we're in big trouble in our faith and in our life as well. So we want to be able to answer those questions. And so to do so, we're going to go right into the midst of our text in Exodus this week, 7 through 11. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn there with me. You and I know well that when we're asking those questions, we're also praying. And we're saying, God, would you please deliver me from this? Would you please allow this? Would you please stop this? Would you please provide that? And we pray and we pray and we pray. And so very, very often, if we're realistic and truthful, we have to say, I don't even think God is listening. He's certainly not answering, not what I'm asking. I, I don't even know if he hears me. And faith grows dim at that moment. Well, Moses, who is the leader, the spokesperson for all of Israel under God's direction, he is in a very tough spot in life. He too has what I call those question marks of life that we just don't have answers to, the why God questions. And he is actually able to talk to God in a way that it's, it's more as a person-to-person, -person, as if a physical discussion where he can hear what God has to say and he can say and know from the response that God gives that he's heard and so forth. So he's talking to God and he's got his questions and he's being very real and he goes to God saying, here are my questions. One, he's been in bondage with the rest of Israel, the Egyptians under the Pharaoh, are wreaking havoc all over the people of God. I mean, it is so hard for them. They've been put into slavery. They're having to build, uh, make bricks, and they have a quota that has to be met. And they're trying to get enough straw and trying to get enough of the mud and trying to get it all together. And then they're being beaten when they don't hit that number. And so finally, Moses goes before Pharaoh himself and says, Pharaoh, please, please, please let up a bit. We can't meet this, uh, this quota that you're giving us. We, we just can't do it. And what does Pharaoh do? Pharaoh says, you complaining? All right, here, less straw, more brick. Come on. And so Moses has to go back and say, well, uh, uh, let me tell you, I, I went before Pharaoh, and this is what's happening, and now the people are complaining. And so now Moses is so discouraged, and he's saying, God, why? Why are you doing this? This is how it reads. If we go back to chapter 5, just two verses, 22 and 23, this is what we've already looked at, but it says, Then Moses returned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why? Why hast thou brought harm to this people? Why didst thou ever send me? Ever since I came to Pharaoh to speak in thy name, he's done harm to this people, and thou hast not delivered thy people at all. Very, very real. This is Moses' question mark. 
It's the big question he has no answers to. He goes to God and says, please, 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 give me an answer. Now, I want you to hear this. If you have missed anything, hear this. For God's people, for God's people, the answers to our question marks come progressively. They come in stages. They do come, but they come progressively. If we don't believe that, if we don't understand what that means, then what we do is we say, uh, God's not speaking. God's not speaking. He's not answering. He he's not there. And we, we're off the track at that moment. All we got to do is say, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Oh, he gives us our answers progressively. So here are the three stages, as I'll call them. He's going to give specific answers to begin with. He gives some specific answers. And quite honestly, the answers that we're going to go over that he gives us probably will not satisfy if you're in the midst of your biggest question mark. It will not fully satisfy. It will not get down to the answer that you're really longing for. You show me why, 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 why. But he does give us answers. Number two, experience. The second stage of the progression is, okay, I got answers, but now through experience, we see those answers becoming reality. What he said is true. We go, ah, it is true. Progressively, never to total fulfillment because there's a third stage in the progression. That's called consummation. Consummation at the end when we're now joined together in the heavenlies with our Savior. And all of a sudden we see in full, now we have everything we understand. It's very much a progression. In line to that, the answers that have been given to Moses already at this point are threefold, at least threefold. This is what we've already heard from the teaching team up to this point. Earlier, we see that God is in essence saying this. He says, look, you can trust me. And here's why. Because I am who I am. And we've already taught that. I'm not going to go back and explain it again, but know this. He is simply saying, you got to know this. I am. I am who I am. I am Jehovah. I'm Yahweh. I'm not man. I'm different than you. I'm over all. I know all. I created all. That's the starting point. You've got to know that. My answer is, why am I doing this? Because I am who I am meaning I do everything to perfection. Oh, that sure, that sure sounds wonderful, but I don't see it. I don't feel it. I don't get it. I don't understand it. It doesn't make sense to me. I know it doesn't. But can I give you a second little answer to your question why? It's this. It's you can look at what I've done in the past. That will help you understand. 
Well, what do you mean? Well, look what I have done. And you see how it turned out? Can you look in the past? Look at the history of our people, and can you say, not your situation, you're in the middle of it, but can you look back and see that, that I was faithfully there making what happened happen in the right way that now you can see? I've done it in the past. Then he gives a third that we've already looked at, and that's this. Also, look, I've promised. I've promised what I'm going to do in the future. I've promised what I'm going to do with your why questions. I'm going to make all things good. I'm going to work all things out together for good. We, we read in the New Testament. It's the same story. He says, you've you got to look to the future. And you look there, there is your answer. And what do we do? Not wrong. We are broken, sinful people. We can't see fully. And, and we're in a progression of life trying to become mature and understanding and so forth. But right now we say, but God... I know you are who you are, and I know what you've done in the past, and I know what you've promised to do in the future, but right now, in the midst of my question mark, it doesn't satisfy. I am hurting. I need something else. What, what do you do? Well, here's what he's going to do. He's going to continue in chapter 7 and give more answers. He's going to, what I like to think of, just kind of complete the answer segment for their situation. He's going to give three basic insights that we need to all hang on to. So uh, maybe call this number four and number five. Number one being, I am who I am. Number two, look what I've done in the past. Number three, look what I'm going to do in the future. Look what I've promised to do in the future. But, but not number four, he says, you need to know this. I have a plan. I have a plan. And then number five, my plan has a purpose. Hmm. Because just to hear I have a plan, that's good, but no, it has a purpose. So before I jump into the plan and the purpose, would you do a little exercise with me? Just participate internally. Would you try to bring to the screen of your mind, what's the biggest question mark of life that you're carrying right now? What is it? What is it that causes you to say, God, why? Please tell me why. I hate this. Tell me why. And then rate it from a 1 to a 10. 1 meaning I get no idea of why he would do this. Up to maybe a 10. Wow. It says, no, I got it. It even makes sense to me here. Hold on to that. We'll come back to that at the very end. So let's look at this point. God has a plan for us. It's point number one. It's actually kind of adding to a fourth and a fifth of what, uh, what God uh, is saying. Uh, God has a plan. So chapter 628, so if you back up a couple of verses, a few verses, before we get into our seven verses in, in uh, the seventh chapter, here's what it says. Now it came about on the day when the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, that the Lord spoke to Moses saying, I am the Lord. Speak to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I speak to you. So he's starting to give the plan here. Here's what I want you to do. Moses said before the Lord, behold, I'm unskilled in speech. How then will Pharaoh listen to me? 
All right, and now we're going to go to chapter 7 and watch this. So he's still saying, God, I'm, I'm hearing your plan. You want me to go, but how can I do this? This doesn't make sense. I don't like it. I, I just don't get this at all. All right, now we turn to chapter 7, and it says this. Then the Lord said to Moses, see, I make you as God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. How do you like my plan, God might be saying? And what would Moses say? Still doesn't sound very good to me. He don't want to go see Pharaoh again. He remembers what happened last time with Pharaoh. He knows what's probably going to happen this time. He didn't like the plan before. He's not liking it now. But then it goes on. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall speak to Pharaoh that he let the sons of Israel go out of his, his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart that I may multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt. Number four. When Pharaoh will not listen to you, then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring out my host, my people, the sons of Israel, from the land of Egypt by great judgments. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand on Egypt and bring out the sons of Israel from their midst. So Moses and Aaron did, did it. As the Lord commanded them, thus they did. And Moses was 80 years old, Aaron 83 when they spoke to Pharaoh. So there is the essence of the plan as it has to do with the Israelites right now. Moses is just reeling from his past visit to Pharaoh. He's now told, you got to go to Pharaoh again, and here's what's going to happen. You're going to go with, with Aaron. Aaron will be your spokesperson, and then this is what you're going to say, and then this is what's going to happen. The Israelites are going to be released, and that's my plan. I, I would think that if I don't know, maybe not, but I would think if I'm listening to God speak and I know it's God speaking and he clearly says, this is my plan, maybe now I go, okay. I don't know. But I know this in verse 4, it says when this happens. He doesn't say if. It's when. It is a sovereign plan. By the way, I want you to see a word, a couple of words that were in that text that's going to throw a lot of us. Harden Pharaoh's heart. Go to Romans 9. See about the hardening of hearts. When you read it there, you say, well, wait, 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 wait. What do you mean, harden hearts? How can that be? God hardens hearts? Here's where we get this wrong. We tend to think that man's heart is a pliable, soft formidable heart, open to the things of God, willing to do the things of God. And then what happens is God says, I'm going to harden that heart so that you can't follow me. You can't believe in me. You can't understand me. And he takes that heart and he squeezes it to death. He hardens it. It's not it at all. In fact, it's just the opposite. What happens is we come into this earth and we have a heart. We have a heart that's like concrete. And it's not pliable at all. It's dead in trespasses and sins. So if you use the idea of concrete, think about it. How do you keep concrete pliable as you're making it? Oh, you mix water with the concrete mixture. And you're doing that. And what do you do if you want it to stay pliable and soft? You keep pouring water. You keep stirring. You keep pouring water. You keep stirring. So why would you do that? Because you don't want it to harden. 
What God has done is he said, no, 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 you don't understand. I don't have to do anything for the heart to harden. All I've got to do is withdraw my grace that is not earned, it's not warranted, there's no injustice in what I'm doing. I can give grace, but I can also withdraw that common grace that will cause someone never to think and to do and to act the way we would think a logical person should do, act, and so forth. It's just that way. So he's not saying, I'm going to take this heart that's wanting to follow me, and I'm going to say, no, you can't do that. You can't do what, what I want. No. All I got to do is just withdraw my grace. So all I want to do is just get this part of the, the answer to the question now. When he says, I've got a plan, we better at least listen to what God's plan might be for us. And if it's been executed in sovereignty in our lives, we go, okay, that's the plan of God. It may even include my own sin that brings it about. It is my sin. I am, I am culpable in, in that regard. But let me tell you, everything, if I'm God's, if I'm God's child, Everything works together for good. God's got this in a plan. So I got to at least say, well, he's got a plan. But we got to go to, let's call that fifth part of the answer. And that is this. God's plan has a purpose. So we need to understand the purpose of God. So let's look at it in his situation here, in Moses' situation. The plan threefold. Number one, to prove himself right as God. Let's look at the text at uh, verse 5 of chapter 7. We've already read it, but it said, And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand on Egypt and bring out the sons of Israel from their midst. He is going to prove himself that he is God. They will know that I am God. So, okay, what is God's plan in general in all things that are happening in his plan? Number one, we know that he wants to prove himself as God. Now, right now, folks, that's going to be little by little by little. In our life, we're going to see that. It's going to, we're going to understand more and more how he proves himself. But that's what his intention is. His purpose is to prove himself as God. And you know, the day is coming. We read in, in um, Philippians 2, 10 and 11. We read there that the day is coming when he comes back and it says, then... He's going to prove himself as God. Every knee is going to bow. Every tongue is going to confess that Jesus is exactly who he claimed to be, that God Almighty is who he's always claimed to be. He's faithful. He's true. He's good. He's right. Until that time, I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm not, I don't know if I can. I don't know. But that day, oh. So progressively, little bit by little bit, in our Christian faith walk, we see God prove himself as God. That is his intention. But number two, what is he doing? The purpose of his plan, it says, is to display his power, chapter 9. Chapter 9, verse 16 at the end says, But indeed, for this cause I have allowed you to remain. Why? In order to show you my power. Let me tell you, God is in the business. He has always been the business of just showing his power. If you look through the scriptures, you see it over and over, the Red Sea. Why does he take the people of God to the edge of the waters? It looks like they're about to die. They have no hope whatsoever. And here comes the enemy. Pharaoh is coming right after him. 
He is dead. Their troops are dead. They know there's no hope. And the water spreads wide open. The land is dry. They go across. When the Egyptians follow, the water comes back, kills all the Egyptians. And God is saying, I love to prove my power. I want you people to know my power. Very important. Whether it be Paul's thorn in the flesh, where he says, why, God, three times, would you just take it away? Would you take it away? Would you take it away? And God says, oh, no, no, no. Power is perfected in weakness. You see the story of Jesus. Why does he go to the cross? Why, God? Why do you die? He's dead. And then it's, you raise from the grave, alive forever. Showing his power constantly. When I was a college student, I, I had a little footboard, and I, I kept a, a little, uh, little note there that I'd printed out, big printout, so that when I woke up, I could look at it the first thing in the morning. And all it said was this, man's extremity becomes God's opportunity. The great thing to remember, God loves to show his power. How does he do that? He puts us in points of weakness. Number three, to proclaim his name. The third and final reason, Exodus 9, 16b says this, and in order to proclaim my name through all the earth. Again, it's been his plan all along to, that his name would be proclaimed. I want you to just read with me a little couple of verses here, a few verses. Philippians 1, 12 through 14. Here's the story of Paul that expresses this very thing, and he gets this. He says, now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel, so that my imprisonment, which is his circumstances, in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. And then it says this, and that most of the brethren, they're trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment. I have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. And in that, he says, I rejoice. Do you know the book the book of Philippians 16 times uses some form of joy, rejoice. It's a whole book about joy. And he's writing from prison, the worst of circumstances. And he's saying, hey, people, I want you to get this. I'm here in prison. I hate prison. But I delight with greatest of joy because I'm here because of what happens. There's a proclamation of the truth. So what's our prison? Is it? Is our health our prison? Is our unemployment our prison? Is it our loss our prison? And God says, look, your extremity has become an opportunity. And as a result, my name will be proclaimed. And I love that. Maybe that still doesn't satisfy. I say, well, that's good, but I don't know. Maybe not enough. You know why? And not to, not to make anyone feel bad, but let's be honest. How many of us are really more concerned about our well-being than we are the glory of God? Is his name being proclaimed? I hope so, I hope so, but I'm more, I'm more concerned about me. What's going on with me? Do you notice that all three of those things I mentioned, not one of them had to do with how good this is going to turn out for you, Moses. How good it's going to turn out for the people of Israel. 
It is going to, but that's not high, the highest point of his agenda. You know what it's about? His own glory. We used a catechism in the service this morning. The Westminster Catechism, written in the mid-1600s, all these leaders came together, and they asked questions with answers to help teach. And the children have their own version of this catechism. Many of you, perhaps, have used it with your children. We did it with ours. You can hear that first question asking our youngest of children, saying, what is man's chief end? And to hear them respond and say, for his own glory. For his own glory. Oh, if we just all knew that. People say, why? Always answer it this way with little understanding as to how it is, but say, for his own glory. Well, second question. Why does God do all things for his own glory? So why do we exist? To glorify God. And to enjoy him forever, which I really think the intention of that is simply to say to enjoy God or to, to glorify God by enjoying him. That's how we glorify God. See, the whole thing is about his glory. And folks, I believe this until we get to the point that we can say the glory of God is God's purpose and that is my delight. The question marks of life will never be clear. Now, if you continue through the, the study of, of Exodus, you come to 7 through 11. And I'm going to just hit one little bit of point. I'll tell the story in just seconds here. And, and we'll bring this to conclusion. But this is the plagues. Many of you are very familiar with the plagues. So Moses says, okay, and he and Aaron go to Pharaoh. And they say, let our people go or... And the first thing is, he said, um, this is what's going to happen. He throws his staff down. It turns to a serpent. He says, now will you let our people go? Look at this. Pharaoh says, are you kidding me? He says, hey, sorcerers, come here, come here, come here. Look what he did. Can you do that? They go, sure. They throw down a staff and it becomes a serpent. Pharaoh says, why am I going to listen to you? I can do that. That's not a no big deal. Does that throw anybody? How could they do that? They did. Doesn't stop there. It goes further. Water turned to blood. Let our people go. All right, then water's going to turn into blood. And it does. And what does Pharaoh do? He says, sorcerers, come back here. Take this water. Can you turn it to blood? They do it. That's not a trick. They did it. And we go, ooh, wow. So, Next, there has to be the, the follow-up to that, and that's frogs. So frogs multiply in the land. Pharaoh says, sorcerers, can you do it? Sure, here's more frogs. What comes next? Gnats. Oh, this is so interesting of God. Gnats are everywhere, and Pharaoh says, ah, no problem. Sorcerers, come here. And the gnats go, uh-oh, can't do it. You know what they say to Pharaoh? Can't do gnats. This is the finger of God. No wonder we hate gnats so much, huh? <laughs> it can't get much worse. At least it would appear that way. 
and hold on to that. I wonder why he couldn't do that. But he could do one but not the others. But just to finish it out, after the gnats, there's the flies, and then in chapter 9, the cattle all died, then the boils and the hail. Chapter 10, there's locusts and darkness. Chapter 11, the firstborn die. And that's where we pick up next week. But I want to say something about this power idea of the evil one. I've already said, sure, he did these things. Uh, he actually did them. Does Satan have, have supernatural power? Of course he does. Of course he does. But know this, it's limited. Do you notice that all that the sorcerers could do was continue to multiply the problems? They couldn't. He didn't say, take them away. They couldn't do that. All he can do is just multiply problems, not make things better. Eventually, they had to acknowledge the hand of God, even in the things that were happening. You know, Revelation 16, 4 and this is for all the ages. It's not talking about one particular time at the end. This is throughout the ages. It says they are spirits of demons working miracles. Don't ever believe, people of God, that because you see something that is so supernatural that this person who did it must be from God. That is not true. You look for the character of life. You look for the fruit of the Spirit in that person. And then you give it some consideration. This may be certainly from God. But otherwise, don't believe just because somebody can do incredible things that they're not doing by other powers. Now, there is one third piece that I'm going to add to this. It's actually the, uh, it's the idea that we need to now move from answers. And we go from answers you remember the second word? It's experience. Now we move into phase two. We got our answers, but now we need an experience. And that's what life's going to give. As we follow God in the midst of our questions, God will give us experience, 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 until the number on our rating begins to change. May not come to a 10, but it's going to change. Even in our episode that follows through the rest of Exodus, you're going to see that the Egyptians are plundered. And from that, all of the resources that the Israelites needed were provided, even to build a temple that was magnificent. If you look at the story through the whole book, you see that there's the birth of a sacrament, the Passover, coming in the next chapter. The Passover, which we're going to be doing the Lord's table here, which is the New Testament Passover. It's exactly, it's a sacrament of God. It was because of what they went through. They're going to learn through the Israelites' experience. They're going to say, we got the law of God as the Israelites. Of all the people in the world, we get the law of God. Why? Because of what we've been through, now we go up in this the wilderness as we're going. We go up in the mountain, and look what God has done in this deliverance. And we say, wow, pretty impressive. So we've seen Moses now. He gets the answers. He gets the, uh, the experiences. But he wouldn't get the whole story till that day he died. The day he died, the consummation. The fullness of the consummation is actually when Jesus comes back. But at that moment, even as he's in glory, 
don't you know that he's going to be going, oh, God, I did not, oh, I thought I, I thought I knew Mike's, oh, oh, God, what an incredible plan. So now, conclusion. How about a contemporary story or two? Oh, that's all those Bible, he's talking to God, and it's different there. No, it's not. You know the name Tony Dungy? He, at this time that I'm sharing about this, was the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts, professional football team. Was at the beginning of the year, it's the uh, uh, Super Bowl, there's a prayer breakfast, he's speaking. You know what he speaks on? Lessons for my three sons. He had three boys. One's Eric, middle son, Jordan, five-year-old. Jordan had a, has a congenital disease that is very, very serious. He has no feeling physically. He can put his hand on a stove and keep it there till it burns off and he'll not feel it. What a horrible thing to have to go through life. No feeling. His oldest son, James, just weeks before the prayer breakfast, took his own life, committed suicide. And in the rawness of that life question, the question mark of Tony Dungy, he spoke before the prayer breakfast. I was going to bring the long quote that he, but for time, I'll skip it. But I'll tell you this much. Early it says this. He says, all that is, I'm going through and have gone through, part of God's plan, his words, and then later these words, all of this, and this is after he had talked about the experience of just four weeks after a suicide and five years of being with his son with the disease that he has, the problem. He says this, all of this, has made me realize what God's love is all about. How did he get there? He went through phases, stages of life. He said, first, he knew the answers, and he held on to those answers. Secondly, he began into the experience of life with those answers and began to watch what God was doing. And one day, Tony Dungy will stand in the heavenlies Say, oh, God, what a marvelous plan. How your name was honored and glorified. How thankful I am. One other story, my story. The worst thing that happened to me in my years past, for years and years I've said, oh, it's my father, when he left a note. And the note to me said, I'm gone forever, you'll never see me. I was early in college. I couldn't understand that. But you know what had happened? I had gotten answers. I knew the answer part. No experience, but answer. And when my mother called me, she said, I've got some terrible news. I was in New York City. She left a message, and I called her in response, and I said, what is it? And she says, your dad is gone. Read the note to me. He's gone forever. Do you know what I said as a baby Christian? By the grace of God, I know. But I said, Mom, I think, I think we need to thank God for this right now. I think this is a part of God's plan. 
Do you know I just come from a Bible study? Bible study was on the plan of God. The Bible study was on suffering as a part of that plan out of the writings of Peter in the New Testament. And I got out of my car. I had a long walk to get to the place I was staying. And I said to the Lord, Lord, I've never known suffering in my life to this day. And I'm not asking that I want it, but I, if you want to bring me suffering, I know it's good for me. And I'll receive it as from your hand, part of your plan. And so to my mother, I said, Mom, I think we're going to have to view this as a plan of God. How would I say that? Well, I just had the answers. I had no experience. And now these many, many, many years later, I can sit in a counseling session with someone, a meeting with or whatever, and I bring it back, and I can tell you reasons that I can say, you know what? I see God's hand in this. I can see the purpose. I can see how he's used this. I can see. Am I at a 10? No. But I'll tell you this. When I enter into glory, I'm going to say, thank you for the plan when I lost my dad. The greatest story of all is Jesus. Why would God let his own son, the father let his son suffer and die for his own glory? For his own glory. Because in the heavenlies, you and I are going to stand in heaven. And when we stand in heaven, we're going to be applauding him so big, we're going to say, unbelievable plan. Not just what you did in my life, but what you did through Jesus on the cross of Calvary. What a plan. Pain and suffering. But look at the glory now. You, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, will receive from all of us, your host, for all eternity because of what you did in your plan. What a great purpose. And it turned out for me the best thing that could ever happen. So I'm going to close in prayer. And as I close in prayer, I'm going to pray very briefly, and then there's going to be a moment of silence, and I'm going to let you pray. And I'm going to invite you, if you will, to say these words to God as part of a faith walk. Lord, my number one question mark. Tell him what it is. And then say, I want to thank you for it. It's the fruit of the lips that give praise to God. And I'll tell you this, when you don't feel it, but you walk that faith anyway, it is the greatest expression of love you could ever make to your heavenly father. And he says, oh, you love me in spite of how you feel. So could we pray now and say thank you for our question mark? Let's pray. Father in heaven. We're going to ask you right now to hear us as we pray. Some of us will say thank you for the first time. Others, maybe after many, many times, some of us won't be able to say thank you at all because we just won't and can't at this moment. We pray you'd hear those words that are being prayed, oh God, help me. Help me in my unbelief. Get me to the point I can say thank you even for all things. So God, hear us now as we pray. Lord, these have been precious prayers to you. Hear them and answer, we ask. And thank you for your plan for your son that's given life for all who have come to you. We give you thanks in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. 
You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Sermon Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and to find other sermons from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.